You guys doing well today? Don't you love hearing the stories of God's goodness, the stories of God's faithfulness, the story of God drawing hearts? Yes, 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 and yes. Marnie was just at a women's conference down in Brookings, and, and I won't take time to share all of it, but just just hearing the miracles of God, just miracles. I mean, just absolute miracles. Modern-day miracles, absolutely uh, exciting, exciting that our God is still alive. I mean, he's God. He can't die. He's like he's alive. He's involved in your life today. Amen? God's involved in your life today. Whether you're seeking him or not, he's involved, and he's always drawing. He's always pulling. He's always tugging. And this morning, if you're listening by radio or if you're watching online, just as before we even get started with the message this morning, we've just been hearing stories this morning about people coming to Christ, about people who have been on drugs, about people who have lived lives that they shouldn't have lived, about people who have been in church their whole life and thought they were a good person and then heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, you must be saved. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And there's not one. The Bible says there's not one of us that's good enough. So you're in good company today, Curtis. Not one of us is good enough. He was on time. Curtis was on time. That still won't get you to heaven. <clears throat> wow. It still won't get you to heaven. But Jesus will. Surrendering your life to Jesus. Asking Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sins, and then surrendering, saying yes to him. Get a Bible. Get into a church. Find a, a Bible-believing group of people that want to walk with God. Call us, 605-698-3494. We'll answer questions for you. Come on in. Coffee's on, right? We just we want to see people walk with the Lord. And so today, for our church here, well, I guess, and if you're watching online or listening on the radio, uh, we're back in Philippians again. And... Uh, Last time, well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to, in theory, in faith, we're going to finish chapter three today. We're knocking it out. Yeah. We're, there's only one left after that. Yeah. I mean, probably like a week or two, we'll be done. <laughs> right? We're going to knock this thing out. We've got to back up just a, we've got to back up just a little bit because the, the last verses that we're going to read, there's, there's this contrast. There's a contrast between, see, Paul had already uh, warned the Philippian church about the Judaizers. Those were the people that said that, well, Jesus is good, but you have to also keep the law, right? You got you to gotta do all the ceremonial things and be circumcised and go to the temple and, you know, offer sacrifices, do all this kind of stuff, that Jesus was there to help you be a better Jew. And Paul was just saying, that's not the gospel at all. You got to watch, he called them dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out for them. And we did a whole message on, we don't, that's in this part of the country anyways, we're not tempted by that, but we're tempted by cultural Christianity. The, the allure that says, well, if I come to church on Christmas and Easter and I'm a good person, right? We listed off, I think there was five things that, I uh, can't remember his name, uh, wrote a book about that. It's really kind of this American Christianity. Well, you just be a good person, and God's there, but you don't need to get too crazy about it because he, you know, he loves you and whatever, right? Just kind of that, I'm good, you're good, God's good, he loves us, and it's okay. And that's not the gospel at all. That, that would be kind of one of the things that's trying to distort our gospel today. And it's, we, we also quoted the other book in that, series, in that message, uh, The Very Good News About How Very Bad You Are. 
<laughs> that was the time uh, someone bought that book after that message, and they're like, this book is amazing and hilarious, and it's true. We're not good. <laughs> We're not good. We need Jesus. Yes. Then we can live out by the power of the Holy Spirit the goodness of God. Yes. We can make great choices. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to live up, and that's what Paul was challenging us with. Live up to what we've already attained. So we're, he's all now kind of warning them. It's not so much a warning. It's more it's just pointing out. These aren't Judaizers that he's talking about in this section. We read it last week, but now today we're going to make the contrast between another group of people. It's people that are in the church that aren't living for God. How many know, well, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> You've maybe been one of them. You know, how many know you can come to church, right? You can go to church and not be living for Jesus. Sometimes we, uh, right, uh, uh, what's the, I can't think of the construction term, paint and paper or whatever. You know, when you, that's not quite it, but like, you know, lipstick on a pig kind of thing. We, we always, uh, when, you know, when you're in construction, We've, we've just, Marty and I love looking at houses for other people, you know, and just we've, we've loved the whole process of building our house, and we remodeled our house in town here, and it's just super fun. And so people will call us all the time, not all the time, but through in like a 23-year span all the time, <laughs> often, and they'll say, would you come and look, you know, we're looking at this house, would you come and look at it with us? And, and I'm like, you know, we're not a inspector or anything. We know, but just will you give us your opinion on it? So we do, and we say anything that we see. And a lot of times they're like, oh, it's so nice. Look at it. It's just so, oh, I love that color. And right away we're like, red flag. If you're buying a house because you like the color, run away. <laughs> right? You can change paint in a couple seconds. You can't change the two-by-fours and the mold under the floor and the foundation that's crumbling and the rafters that are sagging. Like, hold on, but we all like to get mesmerized, right? You can do that in church. You guys got a fresh coat of wallpaper on today, right? You're just looking shiny, right? And our hearts are just full of crud. Not you guys. We're talking about a different church. You know what I mean? Like, it's possible to do that. And so that's what Paul was kind of talking about here. These guys were showing up at church, and he's like, wait a minute. And so he makes this contrast. So as we close out chapter 3, we're going to read two sections of Scripture, and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. So where are we at here? We read this last week, but Paul said this, For I, as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears. Listen, I want you to get, we've, we've read this verse here before, uh, not just last week, but at other times. And I want you to say, Paul wasn't so much angry as he was heartbroken over this. And I think we need to weep for the lost, whether we're angry with them or not, right? Anyone ever been frustrated with the lost? Has anyone ever been frustrated at yourself, right? We need to weep for those who aren't living like they should. He said, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. End of chapter 3. We made it. We read it all. We're through it. Let's go back and talk about this a little bit. We, we read that first section last week, but we didn't spend much time. I just want to highlight this here. He's, so it says, I've told you before, uh, you know, with tears, there's, there's people that aren't living like they should. And he lists off three different things there. 
Their God is their stomach. Now, do you think that they're showing up on Sunday morning, right, with a picture of their gut, right? And they're bowing down and they've got oil and, they, you know, they're, they're, they're praying. Like, no, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, well, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to show you another slide and then we'll talk about it some more. Stephen Cole says, a man's God is that to which he gives himself and which thereby becomes the determining factor in his life. When a man gives himself to satisfy his own appetites, say appetites, his own appetites, and I'm not just talking about tacos, okay? We're talking about fleshly appetites. Revenge, greed, right? Uh, Power, right? Lust. When a a man gives himself to satisfy his own appetites, apart from any restraint, he has made a god out of those appetites. In short, these men Paul is describing are primarily concerned about eating, drinking, sex, and fulfilling bodily appetites rather rather than knowing Christ and making Christ known. So what he's saying is their God is their stomach. Like he's saying that the, the things that drive them on a carnal level, that's what they've turned into their God. They're sitting in church, right? I'm glad that there's no one here today like this, but just in case, that's what Paul's talking about here. They've, they're showing up in church and they say they're Christ followers, but their God is something entirely different than Jesus. So let's, let, me, let me see if we can open this up unpack this for you a little bit here. Imagine this, okay? Talk about God, right? Think We're talking about the God of the Bible, like our walk with God, New Testament Christian walk with God. What are some things that God does in our life? I have a list for you, right? Some ways that we interact with God. Now, there's many more that could go on here, but we're just going to give you a short list here. So, number one, we serve God, right? Amen? Yes? We serve God. We, we orient our lives to be in servanthood to God. What God says we do. We're, we're servants of the Lord. Whether that's sharing Christ with someone else, whether that's, you know, lining up our own life to serve God, whether, you know, like whatever that means, we're serving the Lord. Whatever we do, we serve God. What, what else is there? We worship God. Like we glorify him right? We, we make a big deal about it. We magnify his name. We did that earlier today. It's not just song. It's attitude of the heart. Songs are one of the vehicles that God has given us in his word. He's told us. So we want to obey God, and he's told us to sing to the Lord. That's, that's one of the things that we're to do, and it's a way of worship. We also worship, worship as we give our finances. We worship as we serve others. We worship as we love, right? We worship God with the attitude of our heart. It's making God bigger, it's magnifying him, making God bigger. Obviously, we can't make God bigger. He's as big as he's going to get, right? But we can make him bigger in our eyes. That's how we worship him. We're like, whoa, God, you are magnificent. You are amazing. Have you ever, have you ever uh, had someone in your life that all of a sudden you found like they've got some hidden talent? They're just incredible. They're like, you know, concert pianist or something. And you didn't even know that. Like they, they got bigger in your eyes. You're like, whoa. I look at you completely, like you're still the same person, but like I see you different. You know, wow, I didn't know that about you. So we worship God. We make him bigger. We seek to please the Lord. There's about five or six times in the New Testament, and it says, seek to please God. We, uh, 
I forget who writes it, but he said, we find out what it is to please the Lord. We make it our goal to find out what pleases God. Like, not in a way so that we can earn something, but in a way like I would find out what pleases my wife or my kids. So, you know, on their birthday, we can get them the right gifts. Right? Yes, we should. We should, yes. (laughs) It's just kind of an inside joke happening there because I'm really bad at getting gifts. It's true. My family loves me. And I try to love them well. <laughs> it doesn't always work very good. But we find out what it is to please them, right? We find out what, like in the morning, against everything within me, grates against the fiber of who I am. When I leave, I pull my covers up, and I take one of the 783 useless dumb pillows that don't belong on our bed, <laughs> that have been on the floor, because why are they on the floor? Well, because we need to sleep in the bed, right, honey? Yep, so we take all the pillows off the bed, and then we go to the end of the bed, and we start the trek of hauling pillows. Fortunately, Callie's old enough so that I can get her involved. Callie, you want to throw some pillows on? Yes, Daddy. Right? So we throw all the pillows back on the bed. Why do I do that? Because I love my wife, right? I know that it pleases her when she comes home from work in the beds, and she's like, oh, my husband loves me, Right? <laughs> wow. But we find out what it is to please the Lord. Like we, what, uh, how else do we characterize our interaction with God? He guides our lives. Like God is, is the nudger, right? Just prayed with someone earlier. God, guide and orchestrate. And like I pray that for you guys all the time. I pray for me all that. Like we pray that for our family. God, you, you know, we pick up our foot and you put it, put it down, God. You orchestrate our steps. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of God, right? He guides us. He nudges us with the Holy Spirit. If we're listening, he gives us direction. No, don't do that thing. Ooh, look out for that. Go here. Don't go there. Follow his word, right? So God guides our lives. He comforts us. Right? Nobody? Okay. Moving on. No, the Lord, the Lord brings comfort. He gives us, when you are at the end of the end of your last rope that you traded in for a, an older rope, and like, that's it. It's frayed, and you are done. The Holy Spirit is there saying, hang on. I got you. We got, we'll get through this. Anyone ever walked through a season and, and you were walking with the Lord and you don't know how you got through it? It was so hard. And like, I mean, I can raise my hand. And you're just like, okay, God, you, you comforted in that moment. You strengthened. You, like, there, like, again, there's 500,000 things that could be on this list. God gives us purpose and meaning, right? He, uh, he give, he's the reason we are. Like, not only is he our creator, but once we say yes to him, He's, he's my today. He's like, all right, God, what are we doing today? How am I living today? What's my purpose here today? The Lord provides that. God provides that. He's our purpose. He's our meaning. I, I understand where I fit in the world, where I fit in society, where I fit in life, because the Lord gives my life. Like, it's, I'm not the one coming up with the meaning. The Lord is. God gives my life meaning, okay? And last one that I could fit, I ran out of room on the page, and I didn't want to write any smaller God defines right and wrong. Like, again, there could be just tons of them on this list, but God defines what's right and wrong. Like, I I don't have to try to come up with what's the best thing to do in this situation if it's revealed in the Bible. Listen to me. I don't have to try to decide if it's revealed in the Bible, then I know the answer. 
Like if in the New Testament especially, if, if, if I find something that's revealed in there that God says is wrong, I don't do that. If I find something that God says, do this, then I, I know to do that. I know right and wrong. Love people. Okay, I know that I should love people. You know, be kind to your spouse. I know that I should be kind to my spouse, right? You know, don't steal. All right, I won't steal. Don't cheat. Okay, I won't cheat. I won't cheat. But what if, what if we take this list? What if we take this list and we change out one word in this list? What if we just change out one word? What if we swap out God for our desires? Leave everything else the same and just put this same list back up. Look at this now. We serve our desires. Ooh, these things that are calling within me, we end up serving them. A funny story. It's not a funny story. It's a sad story. It's me. It's about me. You all get to laugh at me or shake your head or pray for me. Like, how about all of them? Yes. I, I just, I love sugar. Man, I love sugar. Man, I love meat. I love good food. But man, I just, I like sugar. I like, like things I shouldn't eat. Like a lot of things I should. That's just it. And, and we know medically that, that there's chemicals released that when you eat sugar, the more you eat, the less satisfied you are. So the more you have to eat. And so my gut hurts. You know, I'm just, I'm gaining weight. I'm just miserable. But you know what I want? Sugar. And you know, in the middle of that, so, I, so this is, I mean, we we're talking like a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm serving my desire. So I had this, and it's not a big revelation, right? It's pretty obvious. And so I was trying to kind of cut back. And so funny, here's the funny part of the story. The sad part is, like, like I'm in addiction to sugar a couple weeks ago. And I, knew, and I knew it. I knew it was getting worse. And I like multiple times a day, man, I've got to run and find something sweet and just garbage stuff. And I, I would often, like I'm just being vulnerable here. Because I know none, you guys are all high and mighty, and you've never done anything like this. So I'm just letting you in on my life, the one heathen in the room, right? Okay? The one who struggles. So I'm just showing you. So I decide a couple weeks ago, because I'm, I'm kind of back in the gym lifting and stuff and kind of getting more healthy, and I'm like, I read all, watched all these videos and read all this stuff on fasting. And so it would, it would not be uncommon for me to fast in different, different seasons in my life for spiritual reasons. Okay? We should fast for spiritual reasons. I know that's weird in 20, 2022 in America. Fast? You mean like get some food fast? <laughs> no. I mean, don't, don't eat food. What do you mean don't eat food? Well, I don't eat between, eat in between my meal and my snack. No, like don't eat for an extended period of time. So it wouldn't be uncommon for me to fast from like a Sunday night to a Wednesday night. Just having water and coffee because I like coffee. Coffee doesn't break your fast because it's just water and, and glory beans. Right? So <laughs> we have water and coffee. So I decided this, this time I was going to do a shorter fast. This is like two weeks ago, three, probably three weeks ago now. Decided I was going to do a shorter fast. I'm going to do from Monday night to Wednesday noon, 40 hours. And this one wasn't spiritual reasons. This one was like, it's always good to fast. And I figured I would spend some time praying and stuff. And like, because I do anyways, but I'm like, I'll amp that up some because I'm going to be fasting. But it, you know, it releases growth hormone and, and just all this kind of good stuff for your body because I'm lifting weights. I'm like, that'll help me recover better. I'm like, all right, we can do this. 40 hours, that should be nothing. <laughs> About five hours into this thing, I thought I was dying. 
Like, I thought I was not going to physically make it. I, I worked, uh, so the first day would have been Tuesday. Marnie was working in the office. I'm walking like this. I'm like, I, can, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> it was so bad. I was on such a sugar withdrawal. Because normally when I'm fasting for longer periods of time, I've kind of already kind of cut out some sugar in my life. Well, I just kind of went cold turkey. And I was the turkey boy. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And so I, I went home about 4 o'clock, and I laid on the bed. And Marnie, Marnie never gets really mad about much of anything. But she comes in, and she's like, that's why I don't like you fasting, because you just don't do anything then. <laughs> and I laid on that bed, and I couldn't move. I got up about, I don't know, quarter to nine or something like that at night. I sat down in my chair and I was going to watch a couple of health videos, you know, whatever, to be inspired. And I made it about 20 minutes and I put my computer. She goes, are you going to bed? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I, I mean, before 10, which is I don't do and crashed out. By the time when, like, I wasn't even really hungry for food. It was so, such a sugar withdrawal that by the time Wednesday noon came, so I'd read all this other stuff, like when you break your fast, the health reasons, you should do it with small portions of protein. So I'd brought this little chicken breast, you know, and I'm like, all right, Wednesday noon, I'm eating my little chicken breast. And I'm not starving, because I've fasted before. I, I can, you know, that's not such a big deal for me. It was the sugar. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm going to eat sugar. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to stay strong. I'm sure none of you have ever had these conversations with yourself. And I'm like, no, come on, chicken breast. I love chicken breast. Got some chicken breast. I love me some chicken breast. Come on. And I'm eating, and it's really good, and I'm still feeling miserable. I'm like, I'm going to eat a cupcake. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to eat chicken because we love chicken. Chicken is so good, and we've got all these new T cells, stem cells that have been produced, and we're going to give them protein, and they're going to turn into good muscle tissue and not into blobs because we're giving them bad food. I'm like, nope, chicken is going to be the thing. And about 12 minutes later, I'm just eating a cupcake. I'm just I'm slathered in frosting and guilt. It's horrible. We serve our desires. Now, for the last two weeks, I've had almost no sugar. I had one, and not because I can't, because I said, you know what? I'm not serving this. This is wrong. This is in the place where it's wrong in my life. I'm taking care of this bad boy. And, and by the grace of God, he helped me, and it was just glorious. I've been eating well. And if, if, I, if I choose to have something, I do. And I don't feel guilty about it. I'm not really dieting. I'm just like, we're breaking that desire that is wanting to be served in my life. And so I'm doing good. I had one of those pastries today. It was so sweet, I almost couldn't eat it. I'm like, whoa, when you don't eat sugar for a while, wowzers. But you serve your desire. When you replace God with your desires, you worship your desires. You magnify them. They become bigger than they really are. You seek to please your desires. Come on. All of you guys got a flesh bag that you're walking around in that is corrupt, and we're crucifying it daily, but if you let that thing rise up, come on, G-O-D is going to get replaced by desires. Our desires then guide our lives. Come on, guys. Tell you what, wasted a lot of gas time and money trying to find my next ho-ho, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It starts shaping your life. 
I say that as an accessible, easy example for you guys, but there's much more insidious examples. When our desires are controlling our lives, our desires, come on, church, they comfort us. Oh, come on, you little Reese's peanut butter cup, you little Twix bar, two pieces of cake, come on. You're just going to make me feel so much better about life, aren't you? You lied to me again. <laughs> you didn't. You made me feel better for about two minutes. Our desires give us purpose and meaning. Ooh, that, that starts to get really serious when, when I'm living off a gratifying of my flesh and it starts giving me identity and purpose. And our desires then start defining right and wrong. Well, Pastor, I don't know. You got this 2,000-year-old book. Do you think it's relevant to America in 2022? I want you to look at culture today and look at that list. And we just picked one word. You could throw something else in besides desires. But like when we're serving something besides God, all of a sudden everything else. Isn't it amazing how you can start putting yourself in there or you know someone? Like, it, like these become really accessible then. And we just changed one word. And you can start to see the place that the Lord is supposed to have in our life and the place that other things work their way into. Does that make sense? Like he starts to see, oh, well, I'm not like worshiping idols. Oh, really? Which one of these have you seen play out in your life? Something's guiding your life other than the Lord. Something's comforting you other than the Holy Spirit. You guys know what a cyclops is? I remember uh, we lived in the old house, so it was before first grade. I remember watching a show one time. They were in a cave, and then there, there were these, they had swords and stuff, and they were going to go kill the creature. And the creature came out, and it was the one-eyed, it was the Cyclops, you know? So some 1960s or 70s show that mom and dad had on. They are out smoking dope somewhere. Who knows what they are doing? But... <laughs> hey, they're redeemed now. Yes. So... That's a little bit of my, you want to wonder why I'm off, right? <laughs> it just becomes a little more clear now how, how I got to where, what you see in front of you today. Here's a, the, the, the Cyclops was a creature that was in, invented by Euclides or, uh, nope, Euripides or something like that. He wrote the play about 400 years before Jesus. And the quote that the Cyclops has in there the Cyclops says this, My flocks which I sacrifice to no one but myself, and not to the gods, and to this my belly, the greatest of gods. For to eat and drink each day and to give, no one's self, and to give oneself no trouble, this is the God of wise men. This is 400 years before Christ shows up on the scene. And this is, I mean, it's in a play, but how many of you know that, that media often reflects the heart of the culture, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. And so here's this, this creature saying, I'm going to please me, and I'm going to serve me. And so that's what Paul is just kind of railing against here. We go back to Philippians, and he, and he says, you know, their God is their stomach. And then we see their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. So what does that mean? How many of you have a driver's license? All right. How many of you, when you're going down the road, answer me if you think it would be a great idea for you to not think about the road or oncoming traffic and just think about the Lord. Just close your eyes and think about the Lord. Anyone think that's a great idea? Anyone think that's a bad idea? 
Okay, yeah, that's a bad idea. But wait a minute. But we're focusing on earthly things here. How about uh, working? How many, how many of you get a paycheck? Or how many of you go to work? Or how many of you do something that you're employed or self-employed? How many of you think when you're using a skill saw, right? Just put your hand out, start ramming, or a chainsaw, you know, just start, just start hacking away and just, I love the Lord, just close your eyes, just, you know, just. Here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that we do that God wants us to focus on that moment. That's not what this verse is saying. Their mind is set on earthly things. So if someone's telling you you're, you're focusing on work and they're like, you need to be thinking about heavenly things, <laughs> well, do, do a good job. What he's saying is, is for your life, for your identity, for the outcome of your life. You're so focused on this earth that we've lost sight of God and what he's doing. See, he, he, the disadvantage is God's invisible. He can make himself visible. I mean, Jesus was visible, but we see there wasn't, there wasn't much more help when Jesus was visible. People still walked away from him. People still denied him. People still didn't get it. So he's saying we have to be aware that there's another realm. Dwight Pentecost, I love that. If there was ever a cool name for a theologian, I just love Dwight Pentecost. Uh, we were looking at some books that I kept of pastors just because I liked the look of them. And so we pulled them down off the shelf just last week, I think it was, and it was written by Dwight Pentecost. I said, hey, I quote him once in a while. Didn't even know that I had Dwight Pentecost books. But he says this, by this, the apostle means that they have accepted the standards of a godless world and made those standards their standards. Listen to this. Listen to this quote here. As long as society approves, they conclude that a holy God will approve. There's so many of us in the church that are tempted to think that. Well, this, everyone else thinks this is okay, but what does God think about this? Instead of setting their course according to the revelation of the holiness of God given in his word, they do as the Romans do. What do the Romans do? Well, let's find out. Romans, we're going to read in Romans. Paul is writing to the Romans in chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. And uh, we're going to read two different slides about this. And this is about having our mind set. Mind set. He says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. I like that imagery. Take off the, the dark deeds, the, the evil things that you're doing. And put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. He goes on in, uh, oops, I didn't change the reference down there. But the next verse says, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, say instead. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus and don't let yourself even think about how to indulge your evil desires. Paul says their mind is on earthly things. The, the, the weight of this life, the, the value they're putting on earthly things, not on heavenly things. Trouble shows up when we value earthly things over heavenly things. Trouble comes when we value the outcome of earthly things over the value of heavenly things. Trouble shows up when we give heed to our flesh and the ways of the world, and we think that's better or more important than heaven's ways, than God's ways, than the law of God. Another quote here says, 
the natural man, right? That's what we're talking about, these evil desires. The natural man's heart is where his feet should be, fixed on the earth, and his heels are lifted up against heaven, which his heart should be set on. His face is toward hell, his back is towards heaven. That's talking about the natural man, the man whose mind is focused on this earth and the things of this earth, this world, and my desires, my desires. Um, I just, let's skip past this kind of stuff. That's good stuff. We're going to leave it for another time. Meanwhile, back in Philippians. Let's get to the next part of our verse so I don't get uh, shamed for not finishing Philippians today. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The verse right before this, here, look at this. Here's the contrast. Their mind is set on earthly things. We just read that. But, but, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there. He's saying, heaven has a role to play in your thinking today. Come on, church. We get so consumed, and with media and 24-hour TV, and ah, we're just inundated with this world. It's so easy for us to think about this world. And heaven just becomes a whisper we heard about in a song, right? Kingdom things become something far off. Instead of what Paul is saying is, you guys aren't just, uh, like, we're not concentrating on earthly things. He, he says this, our citizenship, this is the same verses, our citizenship is in heaven. With citizenship comes rights, benefits, and expectations, right? As a citizen of this country, I have certain rights, I have certain benefits as a citizen of this country, but I have also certain expectations, okay? I'm expected to obey the speed limit. I'm expected to, you know, honor certain things. I'm expected to not, whatever, bring a gun places that guns shouldn't be. I'm expected, you know, to do my civic duty, right? Like there's all these expectations if you're going to be a good citizen, so, a couple quotes. William Barclay says, We have our home in heaven, and here on earth we are a colony of heaven's citizens. Paul is saying, Just as the Roman colonists in Philippi never forgot that they belonged to Rome, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven, and, you must, and your conduct must match your citizenship. This was a big deal for them. I don't know if you remember from when we very first started Philippians. Okay, we're going to rattle the rusty memories here. But the city of Philippi was this little town that was about, I, I can't remember how far it was, 800 miles? Oh, no, not quite that far. It, anyways, it was a ways from Rome. It was in the middle of Greece, okay? In the middle of Greece, they do Greek things. They speak Greek. They have Greek customs. They have Greek laws. And right smack dab in the middle of Greece is Philippi. And they're a Roman colony. And they're filled with Roman citizens. And most of them are retired military, so they're really Roman, right? They just, they're Rome through and through. And so right in the middle of a foreign land, you've got a Roman colony. Think of the imagery here. Paul says, right in the middle of a foreign land, here, you guys, you've got another citizenship. You're citizens of Rome. He expected them to act like citizens of Rome, right? Now, Paul is saying, you're citizens of heaven. We expect as you're a colony of heaven, you guys are a colony of heaven here on earth. 
You get to do heaven things here on earth. You get to live like heaven, smell like heaven, look like heaven, think like heaven, act like heaven, have the power of heaven to live out your lives. And, you know, we heard about it today earlier, just miracles, you know, power of God, see lives transformed. You get to see heaven's assertion on earth today. Warren Wiersbe says, we're just about done. Warren Wiersbe says, Christians have dual citizenship on earth and in heaven. And our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. The spiritually minded believer is not attracted by the things of the world. He makes his decisions on the basis of eternal values and not on the passing fads of society. That's what Paul's getting at here. You can't be so consumed with your citizenship in this world that we realize we're a citizenship of a greater kingdom of a more real kingdom that's going to last for eternity. At last, we'll finish up with uh, just a little bit of talking about this. We eagerly await a Savior from there. How many days have you guys wished a Savior would show up? <laughs> right? I've heard so much. Like in the last two years, people are weary. Right? Just in, in general, across America, people are weary. People are, are having a hard time processing. The mental health of America is in, in tough shape right now. And I've found myself on days going, okay, Jesus, if I wouldn't cry. If you came back today, that'd, that'd be okay with me, right? There are days where you're just, I'm tired. But God has purposes for us. He has plans for us. But we still eagerly await a Savior from there, and he's going to transform our lowly bodies. How many want a new body? How many have ever had pain in this body, right? How many of don't raise your hand, how many ever struggle with being addicted to sugar, right? How many want to get rid of the things that plague this flesh? You know, at my age, that's kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek thing that we say all the time now, you know, I'm 52, I'm discovering joints that I didn't know that I had. Right? And so we're working on mobility now. Every night we got a stretching routine to keep things mobile and active because if you sit for a while, you get all oh, crotchety. So we're, right? So we're doing uh, we're doing mobility, so we can just stay mobile. We can stay moving. But I know that I'm not going to be sad to trade this body in for another body. And if you've never heard that before, man, you get a new body. You get a new body, a brand new, hot off the shelf, new model, right? And it is going to be able to do amazing things. And it's not going to be plagued by the things that you're plagued with now. You're not going to be plagued with stupid thoughts. Anyone ever had a dumb thought? Right? You're not going to be plagued with dumb thoughts and with carnal desires and with weakness. You ever wish you were stronger? You wish you could make better decisions? You wish you could lift heavier things? You wish you could run farther? You'll be able to do that in your new body. We'll finish up with just a couple more. A couple more verses, 1 Corinthians 15. I wanted to read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians because it's so good, but just a couple verses. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. So as, for as in Adam all die, so as in, in Christ, whoever is in Christ will be made alive again. But each in turn, Christ... The first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, it's the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This death, 
that reigns in your body and my body. You only get, what Marnie was talking about it earlier today, you only get so many years here, right? You've only got so much time on this earth, and then it's eternity. If you're in Christ, if you've accepted Christ, you don't have to have eternal death. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. You get a new body that doesn't have to sleep, that's not hungry, that doesn't get tired, that's not plagued by sin. But right now, we carry around this death in our body, this death that's wanting me to be jealous. It's this same death that's wanting me to covet what you've got. It's the same death that wants me to be addicted to sugar. It's the same death that wants me to go behind closed doors and lust after pictures that I shouldn't be looking at. It's that same death that wants me to get away with something. It's that same death that wants me to treat cheat on my taxes. It's that same death that is offended by just about everything. That's that death that lives in my body, and it lives in your body. And we're crucifying that flesh every day, but there's going to come a day where there's no more crucifying. Old is gone. The new has come. Glory be to God. Last slide. This is Warren Wiersbe again. He says, there's tremendous energy in the present power of a future hope. Because Abraham looked for a city, he was content to live in a tent. Because Moses looked for the rewards of heaven, he was willing to forsake the treasures of earth. Because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The fact that Jesus Christ is returning is a powerful motive for dedicated living and devoted service today. He's coming again. Come on, guys. This is not how it ends. There's a future for you that is more glorious than you could ever imagine. Don't trade a glorious future for, as C.S. Lewis says, mud pies in the dirt, right? Don't trade something glorious for an appetite. Don't trade something glorious for fleshly desires. Paul's like, man, there's a bunch of people, and I say it with tears. They're not living like they should, but that's not you. That's not you. Say, that's not you. Say, that's not me. Come on. That's not how we're living. We're living with our eyes to heaven and our hope set on a future Jesus. It might be 100 years from now. It might be five. It might be by the time I'm done saying amen today. Jesus is coming back, and our lowly bodies get transformed. And we've got a glorious future. And we get to see the things we finally wanted to see. And we get to be in a place we finally wanted to be in. Our hearts have longed for. There's no more death. There's no more sadness. There's no more brokenness. All the things that we fight with and fight for and fight against today will be gone. And it's me and you in the heaven ever after enjoying the glory of the Lord. God has got something so unimaginable that we cannot even imagine it. That's what unimaginable means. <laughs> Let's pray today. God, I thank you for the blessing of the blessed hope, God, that is coming in the clouds, Lord, to redeem a church. Thank you for this letter to Philippians that reminds us of that, that we're not living for today. We're not just living for this moment. We're living for eternity, God. Help us to, like the verse in Romans said, shed off the clothes, our dirty clothes of wicked deeds, God, and to put on the shining armor of light. God, we just thank you that we're embracing Jesus and saying yes to you today and uh, ask for your power to fill this place today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.